Greg Kelly. Entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, uh, there is a new book, and it is required reading for us serious critics of the media, all right? It's called Uncovered, How the Media Got Cozy with Power, Abandoned Its Principles, and Lost the People. Wow, you can say that again, by Steve Krakauer. Uh, Steve is a very thoughtful guy. He is a journalist and media critic who has worked for CNN, Fox News, NBC, and The Blaze. Uh, he's actually the executive producer of the Megyn Kelly TV show. Anyway, Steve Krakauer is in the studio with his book. Steve, thank you very much. How are you? Greg, thanks for, for having me on. I, I'm, I'm uh, really looking forward to it. Steve, so thank you. This is uh, I'm, I'm excited about the book, How the Media Got Cozy with Power, Abandoned Its Principles. Where do we start? Yeah. How did they lose the people? Well, and they certainly lost it. We see poll after poll, just the most recent Gallup poll, record low numbers in trust in the media by the public. And I, I think there's something really significant that's happened recently because, look, I was at CNN less than 10 years ago. I was there in 2013. And there were valid criticisms of CNN at the time. But it, it, clearly something major, major happened in the last five to seven years. And I lay out five big problems in the book. Um, I really go into in depth, into detail, case studies, talk to more than two dozen people on the record, including people in the media, places like New York Times, places like MSNBC, Washington Post, and Fox News and other outlets, and try to understand what what went wrong here. And I think there's there's several factors. Certainly, social media, the rise of social media, the way it can make people into influencers, can all all the feedback mechanisms are are all warped, and 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 also the. Trump phenomenon and getting that so wrong in November 2016 could have been this great moment. Oh, what did we get wrong? Let's be introspective. Instead, the pendulum swung the complete opposite direction and almost turned against half the country rather than bringing them into the fold and trying to understand it and make their own news organizations better. So one of the reasons why I think you you're so good at this stuff, you have a life or you had a life away from media, right? I mean, tell us a little bit about uh, where'd you go to college, first of all? I went to Syracuse. I was one of those uh, journalism majors back in the back in the day. Um, but uh, I, I certainly don't think you need a journalism degree to be a journalist. In fact, I don't think you need a degree at all. Um, but but yes, I went to Syracuse. I was an East Coaster, you know, in New York. Uh, grew, worked in, in New York. Grew up in New Jersey. And you had a position uh, away from media. What did you do? I worked for well after the Blaze. Uh, I spent some time at a marketing agency. I worked in social media. Um, I've done a lot on kind of the the, the behind the scenes digital content space. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, before that though, when I was a journalist, I was a, I was, I wrote about the TV industry and I always kind of kept an eye on what was going on, but certainly for during the, essentially during the Trump years until about 2019, I was just on the outside. You know, I was living in Dallas. I live in Dallas now. Um, I, I'm a consumer of the media. I was a, a fan at one, one time of a lot of the media, but it just pained me to see the direction it went. And, and I tried to understand what, what happened here, what went wrong. So one thing that uh, I noticed, because I went in late in life, I was in the Marines and then I went right. into the media, how incurious, I think that's the word, incurious people in the media uh, can be. They're just out to show you what they know. Right. It's it, and, and they're just, like Maggie Haberman, I think, epitomizes this. It's not, she doesn't look at the world with wonder and awe. She just wants to kind of show everybody how much she knows. And quite frankly, she doesn't know that much. <laughs> Do you notice? Am I, is my observation uh, rings true? Oh, I, I think there's there's a ton of incuriosity in the media, and it's really unfortunate because, in theory, journalists should be the most curious people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've, I I think journalists should be nosy. You know, I I, I say that no, and nosy is a, a negative term, right? Curious is kind of the positive spin. 
nosy, but journalists should be almost disliked, especially by people in power. You, you, you should be a thorn in the side, you know, that little gnat that's always annoying people, that you should be nosy and, and curious about everything. Instead, you're right. I, I think that there's, in some cases, I, I lay out in the first chapter of the book, the Hunter Biden laptop story, which, you know, and I go into in, in depth in the way that kind of you only can in a book, but that's one side of it. That's the conspiracy side, everyone working together collusion. But there's so many other mistakes. There's so many other problems that are just chalk it up to incompetence or just, yep, laziness or incuriosity. So much of that is, is a part of the press these days. And it's really, it, it really harms the audience. All right. Now we've heard the phrase, uh, truth to power and, you know, holding them accountable, yeah. which has always kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And what you say is, I totally agree with you. Got to be a thorn in the side, curious, all that stuff. But what makes a, person who calls themselves a journalist any better than anyone else, including those they cover. You know, I feel like there's this moral superiority and quite frankly, Stelter, Brian Stelter really epitomized this. And I, 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 I like Brian, but he was like, oh, journalists, they're a journalist, they're a journalist, as if that was some sort of sacred role. And I, I don't see it that way. And I don't know where they get off thinking they're better than everybody else. And I think they think they're better than everybody else. A hundred percent. And I, I think it's a symptom really of that kind of coziness with power. The fact that so many journalists are in New York and D.C. only don't have that any real world experience outside of it. Don't really interact with anyone outside of their bubble. Inevitably, they are working their way towards power. I, I, my newsletter is called Fourth Watch because it's, it's related to the fourth estate. And the way the fourth estate is supposed to work is there's the people. That's on one side. And then there was the nobility and there's the government. And the fourth estate is the, the connection from, for the people to the, 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 uh, the people in power, right? It should be that, that conduit when working properly. Instead, the fourth estate in America, especially today, especially with social media is closer and closer to power and is more and more interested in accruing power when they really should be much closer to the people. You know, I have this book in my hands and, you know, I got to tell you what a treat it is to, Step into a book. If you haven't done it in a while, it's a real treat. I got it to, to turn off a screen. Have you ever read a book and actually seen the movie? And the book is always better than the movie. Yeah. You know, like Bonfire of the Vanities is a great example. Nobody in the world would ever say that the, uh, Planet of the Apes. All right. I read that. Nobody would ever say the movie was better than the book. Actually, Planet of the Apes, they would. Take that, take that one out. But you know what I mean. So the name of the book is Uncovered. How the media got cozy with power, abandoned its principles, and lost the people. All right, let's talk a little bit about, uh, all right, Don Lemon. Oh, yeah. uh, Don Lemon is, um, number one, he's back on the morning show. I didn't, all right, I didn't think what he said was horrendous. And I think you're kind of supposed to say borderline horrendous things anyway when you're on the morning show. You're supposed to kind of be provocative a little bit. It's okay. What do you make of all this? I, I think that Don Lemon is one of those individuals at CNN that really represents the old era. You know, then not that long ago, Jeff Zucker ran CNN. This was it's a year ago, basically, even less than a year ago. There's been this this changeover. And who, if you think of who got turned during the Trump years, look, Don used to be a guy who I, I call him like an innings eater, you know, with a, like a pitcher where you could just put him on for eight hours and he would just be solid. Uh, that was the way he was before Trump really before Trump was elected. In fact, he did some pretty good interviews with Trump during the primary process. But then something fundamentally shifted for him and so many people at CNN, and they bought their own hype. And now it's very hard for Don to come back from that. And what also happens is one of the things that made Don interesting 
was that he was surprising. You'd watch him. You wouldn't know what he would say. Well, that, that completely changed during the Trump years also. And I, I would say, I mean, this, this obviously was a surprising thing that he said last week and got you know in trouble for. But I think that's one of the biggest problems in the media beyond CNN, beyond Don. And frankly, one of the things that I think makes you so uh, interesting and important in the media is you never know the direction that a person's going to go. That someone unique in the space, someone you can turn on, and you just you don't know what to expect. That's so valuable. We have so much boring media these days, and Don, I think, in some ways, fits into that category. And uh, interesting. Thank you, by the way. Yeah. Um, how about this, though? It seems to me the most inefficient way to get information would be to sit there and watch. CNN, like to know, to actually learn things about the world, you can much more efficiently uh, look at your phone. Right. And there's like this, it's all in the air. So in a weird way, like when Don Lemon used to come on at 10 o'clock at night, like this is how I justify it. It's got to be commentary. We all know what the hell happened. And they've been saying this for a long time, but now it really means something. I don't know what the hell they think they know over there at the Time Warner Center or Chelsea Piers or wherever the hell they are, CNN. <laughs> They're in Manhattan. they got big plastic desks, and they think somehow that makes them in the know or makes them all-knowing or makes them important. It doesn't. They're still kind of caught up with the trappings of an industry that has totally changed, but the infrastructure is kind of the same. It, it is, and I wonder if you agree with me on this. I, I think, and I, what I write about in the book is that We've started to see, especially in more recent years, the rise of independent media, podcasts, Substack, Joe Rogan, and now places like CNN, they might not say it, but they're feeling that that panic because they feel like they're losing power and they don't really know what to do with it. But it's it's certainly becoming clear that people are tuning out and finding alternative sources and and the financial model is broken for them. And, and I write about ESPN in the book. I mean, that's another one. It's like ESPN... With their business model was never going to be broken. Well, now all of a sudden they feel it slipping away from them and there's this panic. And then all these bad decisions get made in the void that's created by the panic. Yeah. I, um, and you got a lot of reporters who want to make money somehow. Right. So what are they going to do? And they all kind of, by the way, Joe Rogan, <laughs> um, he makes, what is it? A hundred million dollars a right. year or something crazy like that. I've heard his podcast. It's, he is curious. Talks I, I, I like that, and that is rare, by the way. It's very rare. But um, number one, what do you make of him? I think that Joe represents something that is important. You know, he's been doing that podcast for a very long time. And you're right. The, the best thing you can say about him is that he's curious. He brings on people that he wants to talk to. He has no agenda. I mean, he's not bringing on like the most famous people to do their book tour. He's doing only people that he wants to talk to. I mean, I, I open the podcast up sometimes, and I say, oh, he's talking to some psychologist or some scientist on I'm like, okay, this one I'm going to pass on. It, it's a very certain thing, but you're, you're going to have three hour long conversations and with, with, with no plan. It's a, it's a different sort of medium. It's almost the polar opposite of Twitter. Uh, it's almost the polar opposite of cable news. It's just talking and listening and responding and just seeing where it goes. And there's a, there's a real value to it. So, I mean, right now everybody's kind of banging their head against the wall that I, I don't see much, uh, innovation in yeah. the media these days. Yeah, we have all these platforms and we have them. Uh, they're still doing it the same old fashioned way at Fox, CNN. Um, they're, they're doing the same thing or am I missing something? Are, is, who's out there innovating right now? 
That's a great question. I, I think that a lot of a, a lot of these networks, I mean, CNN Plus completely failed. Fox Nation's doing better. Streaming is clearly, I, I think, where this is going to go, right? Where can you consume the brand but not have to have an actual television that you're watching? So I do think that they're they're trying to ebb in that direction. But I, I look at places like Substack as a as a more interesting model. This is you can build it around an individual, you can build it around a group of people. You can pay a specific amount, a small amount, $5 a month, something like that, and you can get content that's directly made almost for you. And that's interesting. Now, there's downsides to that also because you don't have a legal department. You can't do the big reporting that it takes. And so if we can get to a place where the independent media and the corporate media can can work together in a way that keeps them separated, but also they can be, it can be mutually beneficial – that's, I think, where this is going. It feels like we're at the early stages of that. So you're, uh, you live in Dallas, Texas. Yes. You're married. Married. How many kids? Two kids, six and one. And you got a lot of projects in the air. Uh, how did you write the book? What was your, um, you know, what was your method? What'd you win? The morning, night? How'd you do it? I, I a lot of nights. I am, I'm, I'm definitely a night person for it. Uh, I, so I did 26 interviews for the book, uh, recorded them all, um, some of which you can hear in the audiobook. And I did, I, I, the way my, my writing process generally is, I, I just do a lot of planning. I've got everything all kind of laid out. And then I really sat down and I, I wrote it over the course of maybe a week or so. Um, and obviously then went back and- edited. A week? Uh, about around that. But to, you're right. The, the outlining took a long time. The outline took months. Uh, yes. And, and, but when I actually sat down, I had everything sort of laid out and I went and wrote it. And, uh, and I, I will say also, you know, I do a lot of writing columns or newsletters. Those are things you, you hit publish and all of a sudden it's out in the world. This is something, you know, I, I essentially had to stop writing in July of last year. And, and all of these stories, I mean, it's great that we've got this Hunter Biden, uh, you know, congressional hearings that are happening now because that's in the book. But, it's like all these new things are still happening, especially with the media world that's changing 24-7. You know, uh, I personally kind of – it bothers me a lot that the January 6th – not January 6th, who Speaker McCarthy has given this stuff to Tucker. I know. Just yeah. to Tucker. Now, I like Tucker a lot, but that is public domain. Hey, how far are you from Dealey Plaza in Dallas? Pretty close, about 15 minutes. So I'm kind of obsessed with the Kennedy assassination. Sure. Yeah. This is one of the reasons why they should release it because I think – uh, non-journalists, non-experts, non-government people know more than – I kind of want to play this for everybody. So if you don't mind, like uh, Kennedy was shot by Oswald, right? Nobody believes that. Or maybe he was one of many gunmen. Guess – the Warren Commission said it was just Oswald. Right. In 1978-79, there was the Subcommittee on Assassinations, and they concluded that it was a conspiracy. They found that a fourth gunshot was fired. And shortly after they put their report out, they released the audio to the world. And they put it on a record, Gallery Magazine, which was a nudie magazine. I'm not kidding. And some guy in Ohio picks up the magazine. And he puts it on his turntable and he listens. And this guy in Ohio hears something that nobody else heard. Nobody else in the world. And he proved that the committee was totally wrong. Wow. And uh, I think we have that. Oh, God. Uh, here we go. And guess who's narrating this? You'll hear the the voice of the guy, but Walter Cronkite is actually narrating the documentary. Yeah. Check this out. Cut 35, please. Cut 35. In 1979, Gallery Magazine put out this special issue on the assassination of President Kennedy. And in it included a paper record of the recorded gunshot evidence. And... If you overlook the narration, you can, you know, pretty much hear what they're talking about. 
Well, anyway, I just played this thing to death, just trying to hear, you know, the gunshots and hear for myself what they really said was 95% evidence of a conspiracy. I found that when Sheriff Decker is speaking, his voice is coming through the open microphone during the sound impulses that the acoustic experts said were gunshots. But he didn't make his statement until a minute and a half after the assassination had already occurred, so those cannot be gunshots simply because of that. In 1982, the National Academy of Sciences confirmed the crosstalk Steve Barber discovered and thus concluded the acoustic evidence of a fourth shot coming from the grassy knoll was invalid. I just love that. Wow. Isn't that amazing? It's it, it, How much has, has changed, really? I, I look at, I, I write in a, a lot in the book about this anti-speech activism that's gone on. I saw it with COVID. I give up lots of examples that really in depth uh, in the book about it, that it's not just about putting things out there and, and, and the media allowing for this free flow of ideas. Now it's, we can't let you hear this point of view in case you might interpret it in a way that we feel is dangerous. I mean, that's really concerning. I, I think about this with what just happened with these things that we shot down, which apparently we're never going to find. I mean, I, I, the, the reporting from Alaska, that one in particular was, it definitely was not a balloon, did not pop, was a metal object that, that fell to the ground. Oh, we can't find it. Okay, moving on. You know, that's, but I think that it comes from a distrust of the public. And and another reason we're not getting the JFK uh, details every year. They just keep pushing and pushing. Uh, the same thing with the January 6th footage. I mean, you know, we need more transparency. The public would trust the media a lot more. They would trust the people in power a lot more if they just – if those people trusted the public a lot more. Yeah, and the public has gotten a hell of a lot smarter. Yes. Everybody, but the information's everywhere. Well, this book is available wherever books are sold, and I highly recommend it, Uncovered. How the Media Got Cozy with Power, Abandoned Its Principles, and Lost the People by Steve Krakauer. K-R-A-K-A-U-E-R. Krakauer. Uncovered. Check it out. And Steve, thanks very much. Greg, thank you. And we'll be right back. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. 